0: most recruitment business leaders that I speak to have humility and abundance, and they understand what their employees are going through day to day, but you definitely don't have to be the typical hard-nosed, sharky recruitment business leader to be successful in, in my eyes.
1: Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter podcast. This is Mark Whitby, and today I've got something a little different for you. This week I'm collaborating with fellow podcaster Hisham Azuz who hosts the Recruitment Mentors podcast. Between us, Hisham and I have interviewed hundreds of recruitment business owners. We decided it would be fun to compare notes and discuss what are the key factors that the most successful recruitment companies share in common. We both came up with five things. So you're about to hear the top 10 building blocks for growing your business. Let's dive in. Hello, this is Mark Whitby. Hello, my name is Hisham Azuz. And we've got a very special episode of the podcast for you guys today because Hisham and I have teamed up. We're doing something a little bit different from the normal episode, which is we're both podcasters and uh, admire each other's work. So we decided why not collaborate and do something together. Absolutely. yeah, Hisham, I ha- I really enjoy your podcast. I've been listening what to was? it for, um, for a couple of years, well, almost since the beginning, I think, for the last 18 months at least, and mm-hmm. maybe longer than that. You are an awesome interviewer, really like how much you squeeze out of, you know, the information <laughs> you squeeze out of every one of your guests is fantastic, and often listen to your um, recruitment mentors podcast when I'm out jogging, so appreciate um, that. Well, yeah. I think what,
0: likewise to you, I think, uh, I, I know obviously some people may think, oh, they they both have a recruitment podcast, aren't they? Competitors or whatever. But for me, I, what, what I think that's great about you, whenever I see your guests, there's some people that I think we may have had the same, but I think what's really unique about what I see from your podcast is you just have such a variety of people, um, in terms of like locations and where they're based. And I think that's, that's what I've really enjoyed from your podcast is a lot of my people, the people I've interviewed have been sort of UK heavy, Australia based, America based, but you, you've got a real variety. And I think that talks to like the journey that you've been on, which I really like as well. So I'm excited to, uh, yeah, collaborate on this. It's, it's exciting.
1: Yeah. It's funny. I don't, I don't really see the competition thing. And in fact, one Mm. of the themes, which we probably will pick up on today is the idea of collaboration, but um, you know, there's definitely an overlap and we've had some of the same guests on, but there's also a huge difference. Like you have people I've not interviewed and vice versa. So people should definitely subscribe to both podcasts because there's they're, they're really complimentary.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So why don't you let everyone know what what we've prepared for and what we're going to cover?
1: All right. Awesome. So because both of us have interviewed so many successful recruitment business leaders and entrepreneurs, we wanted to discuss what are the common factors? What are the key factors that the most successful recruitment businesses have in common? Mm. And so I've made a list and you've made a list and we're going to yeah. compare notes and talk about some of those common factors that we've seen over and over and over again from all the people that we've interviewed.
0: Absolutely. That's, that's, that's the, uh... That's the plan. Well, I know that you, uh, obviously we haven't seen each other's notes or key points, so be interested to see if we end up having any of the same ones, but (laughs) let's get into it. I'll, I'll go first then. Okay. Awesome. The first one that I wrote down, uh, I don't want, I haven't done it in order in terms of like, I guess, yeah, what's more important in terms of a factor or whatever. But the first one I wrote down that came to mind, uh, was willingness to seek help. That's one of the the points that I, I wrote down immediately. So I think a common learning or sort of a hindsight learning that I hear sometimes from recruiters, uh, recruitment business leaders that have gone on to do really well, when I ask them things like, what would you do differently? Or if you could speak to your younger self, what would you say? A real common answer is that they would have sort of asked for help more quickly. Because I think you can sometimes get caught up in your own sort of world and think you know best. So for me, I think um, a real common factor is that a lot of recruitment leaders who have continued to grow and successful businesses have actively seeked help or at least open-minded to get help. So that could be that they proactively try and um, work with a non-executive director. It could be that they proactively sort of network with other recruitment leaders. But a really common thread that I've seen is that they're willing to seek help and they don't have that mindset that it's only their way or they know how they need to do it or they don't want any other people's opinions because it's probably wrong and they know best. So for me, that's that was the first point that I put down, which I think is a, a really interesting one and definitely a common factor that I've seen in recruitment leaders.
1: Totally agree with that, Hisham. In fact, there's a stark contrast between what I would say are average performing recruitment companies um, who kind of, you know, stay relatively small and, and, and they do fine and, uh, versus the ones that just ex absolutely take off and really scale and are able to grow profitably. The stark contrast in mindset rather than experience, because the, the leaders or the owners of those firms that are sort of plateauing, um, you know, they, they may have just as much experience, but the people who I've seen who've been the most successful, ironically, are also the ones who are the most open to new ideas, to constantly learning, to, co- you know, continuous improvement and seeking out, you know, m- information, mentors, coaching, a- a- advice, um, or even peer, you know, networking with peers because they're, they just always want to improve and, and learn.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So that, that was my first point, so I'm excited to hear your first
1: point. All right. Awesome. So. Uh, my number one to start with is niche market specialization and not every company, but I would say the vast majority of the firm owners I've interviewed who have been the most successful or who I've worked with over the years. Um, so Hisham, I'm going through a, an exercise at the moment where I'm contacting the Recruiter Fast 50, so the 50 fastest growing recruitment companies in the UK, as well as the Hot 100 list from Recruiter Magazine, which are the 100 uh, recruitment companies out of, I think there's 30 or 40,000 recruitment companies in the UK. These are the 100 that are ranked in the top 100 in terms of um, GP per employee. Yeah. Okay. And I'm interviewing i 've already interviewed many of those CEOs and i'm I, i've got new ones coming coming up shortly. The vast majority of them are specialists in a particular market because they're able to be much more credible with their clients and candidates. they have deep market knowledge they're able to um, you know by delineating their area uh, of specialization they're able to speak with much more authority and become very visible within that like it, they can be a bigger fish in a smaller pond and they're also able to recycle their candidates and clients so that there's not a wasted conversation every conversation they have every day every week is building their marketplace rather than starting from scratch you know on on every new search so that's definitely a, a success factor that i've observed
0: yeah. So I, I actually put that down as an extra one in case we didn't speak about it, but I'm glad you started there. And I think I I, uh, I always, whenever a business leader says that being niche was quite impactful in their business, I, I, I'm always curious as to like what they deem niche to be. And a good analogy that I think has come up in one of the conversations that I had is obviously you always hear that phrase, don't you? Inch wide and mile deep. You always sort of hear that. And I think what what sort of you're highlighting and what you've seen, and I've definitely seen this, is one of the sort of most, one of the great ways that recruits can add value is that sort of exchange of information, that exchange of insight. And I think it's what you just said in your last point, like if you're spending however many hours a week speaking to a lot of the similar people rather than doing a particular search that is a bit out of your patch. And then the following week going back to your patch, you're always then gonna be spending time and doing work that's gonna serve you now and in the future. And I think that's, and as we know, recruitment is a long game. It takes a lot of consistency, perseverance. So if you're continuing to, yeah, go in that sort of mile deep area and market, that's why these companies, uh, a lot of them are specialists. Because you can just really, really know people and businesses and insight around your market as, as much as possible. But the the analogy that I always like to use on this, just very quickly, just to make this really clear, is is a football one. So you could say that you're a, a recruitment business that basically recruits for professional footballers in the UK leagues, right? So. That, that could be fine. That could be your specialism. You may deem that to be niche because there's loads of different leagues across the world, right? But actually, when we say specialists and like the companies that are really niche, they're actually people that are going, I recruit only for the Premier League and I only recruit wing backs. That's, that's, that's the, the niche that we're talking about. Right. And they could even go a step further. Some of these companies, like we've seen it with like the Frank group that just do Microsoft Dynamics and just do that. Right. So it could be a step further where it's like, how it's crazy because you think you're going to miss out loads of business, but the step further is then I only recruit for premier league teams and I only place and work with left backs. <laughs> do you get what I mean? So that's how totally. niche you can go. And yeah. again, think about it. Every single day, you're going to speak to wingbacks, left backs, whatever it might be. Like, Think how valuable that's going to be for, for for the companies you're going to be working with that need that piece. So I'm glad you started there. It's a great point. A,
1: a good analogy. I heard you say that when you were speaking to Michael Young at MSB in, in yeah. Glasgow, who I've known for a decade, probably. And um, the the acronym that makes it easy to remember is FILL, Function Industry Level Location. Nice. And that fits in with your football analogy perfectly. Mm. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's funny because I actually, um, I interviewed James Can recently and he actually, he had a contrary point of view. And I'm like, well, who am I to argue with James Can? But I actually disagreed with him on that because he was saying you should maximize the value of every client relationship. So even if that means recruiting across different, functions within the business and so on. Um, but that is opposite to what I've seen yeah, from same. the most successful recruitment yeah, yeah. companies. I think I
0: think that might be a longer term play, but I think if you're a growing recruitment business, you need to get really good at what we're talking about, that specialism, and then you can expand from that. I think, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. My next point, This this sort of ties in a bit to what you said when I spoke about willingness to seek help but it sort of goes on to the point that I said first the point I have next is they don't romanticize what worked in the past so this sort of comes to that open mindedness of like yeah being really open-minded to trying different things learning getting out their comfort zone because I think we've all obviously recruitment has that stereotype doesn't it of sort of people just in the room smashing the phones and doing all that But I think genuinely the most successful recruitment leaders like don't sort of just really romanticize what worked for them 10, 15 years ago. And they're always thinking or trying to learn and understand like what more they could be doing. And a good example of this, you may have seen a sort of rise in this, but something I've definitely noticed is this rise of, you see sort of agencies who have on their LinkedIn, like their job title becomes Hishamazoo's MBN solutions, talent partner for delivery via MBN solutions or whatever. I don't know if you've seen that on LinkedIn where you've seen obviously recruiters ads, I'm working for delivery, but I'm doing it via my recruitment agency. And the reason why I'm showing this example is because like that may, that probably never has been, maybe been a slight idea in the past for some recruitment agencies, but that definitely wouldn't be a typical way that a recruitment agency would support their clients. But because they've been open-minded to understand how they can solve more problems, be solutions focused for the clients they're working with, they've come to a conclusion that actually having someone dedicated to implementing, building out interview processes, actually having a delivery email and working under that brand. So then they take full responsibility for their employer brand through the interview process. They do all of the interviewing and then it's just senior stakeholders that get involved at the very last stage. So we've gone from... Um, companies are going from like doing deals, putting bums on seats, having that mentality to actually just uh, building like all in all solutions that can solve a lot of pain for uh, businesses on the hiring side. So the point that I had was just just like these companies will not just think, oh, well, it's worked for the last three years. So we're going to carry on doing that. Absolutely not. Like they've got really good at understanding what works. They've, they're looking at what isn't working. And they're really open-minded to change and try different things that could help them solve more problems for their for their clients. So that that was the second point that I had.
1: Totally agree. In fact, the, the the pandemic accelerated that for sure because it forced recruitment businesses to innovate and to create different ways of working with clients. And yeah. so I think some of those things were happening already, but um, the companies that really embraced that and didn't. Weren't so wedded to the like. Well, this is what we do, and they were able to s- create new service offerings and and almost new products uh, and solutions that they could deliver to help clients um, solve problems. I think uh, have definitely flourished. I'm seeing a lot more of that. You know, things like um, you know companies having a, you know a sort of RPO model or. Yeah. Uh, a subscription model where they have embedded recruiters, yeah. Whether it's remote or on site with the with the client, um, a lot more developing their retained uh, search offering as well. Uh, so really, just adding new service lines and finding new ways to to help to partner with clients and be true partners rather than you know a vendor who you know sends can uh, you know CVs or resumes yeah. to the client. For
0: exactly. sure. Uh, so I think, a- yeah, they definitely don't. Like, like you said, if if you have the mindset during the COVID period of like, right, we're going to keep doing what, what we've done. Yeah, like you, you're going to find it really difficult. So, so yeah, you make a really good point there because it would have been questions like, okay, our clients are no longer hiring. There's no one on the market right now. What else can we do to support them? It's those types of questions that can create, new solutions ideas and you got like that's what i mean the, these successful recruitment leaders don't romanticize what's worked in the past
1: to sort of decide what they do moving forward well said love it you might remember back in episode 43 i talked to plam ivanov the executive chairman of i intro if you missed it it's well worth going back into the archives and having a listen One of the things we talked about was a way for recruiters to shift the conversation with prospects away from fees and make it all about value. iintro has created a tool called the Bad Hire Calculator that you can show to your prospects that proves to them that your recruitment service will save them potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars. When you can do that, the exact fees you charge almost become immaterial because you've proved that you will save the client the most money in the long run. If you'd like to add this tool to your arsenal, you'd be pleased to know that I've partnered with iIntro and they're offering a 25% discount to listeners of the Resilient Recruiter podcast. All you have to do to claim this discount is book a free consultation and mention my name or this podcast. Just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained, follow the instructions and iIntro will take care of the rest. That's recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained. So I think fundamental to growing a successful recruiting business is the ability to attract and retain top talent, top recruiters to work for you. So your internal recruitment strategy and the companies that scale are really able to master that. And the companies that remain small just kind of never, never figure that piece out. So it's interesting because there's a mindset shift f- among entrepreneurs who scale. They re- there's a realization that they are not actually in the business of placing people in jobs. They're in the business of recruiting and training and nurturing recruitment consultants. Yeah. And uh, if you shift your thinking to that and your priorities shift as well. So I believe there's actually... Every recruitment business has three customers you've got your clients and your candidates but you also have your current and future employees yep. and each of those different types of customer require an equal like level of commitment in terms of building you know a marketing strategy and uh, both an inbound and an outbound you know sales and marketing strategy to engage with that particular audience and and nurture them to get them to uh on board with your with your company to acquire them whether that's as a client as a candidate or as a recruiter um and often recruitment businesses in fact i mean i hear this over and over from recruitment business owners is mark we we're really struggling to um find good people for our own business and for sure i mean it, i'm not pretending it's easy at all. It's, it is a challenge. Um, but to some extent it's a, it's a question of prioritization. Like most recruitment businesses do not give internal recruitment, the same level of attention that they do to filling jobs for their clients. Yeah. And, you know, and yet hiring a really good recruiter for your business is strategically way more important than filling a particular job for Mm -hmm. you know, a client in terms of the ultimate value that that person's going to bring. And and maybe the same amount of time and effort would go into hiring someone internally versus placing someone externally, but the return would be so dramatically bigger on putting that time and effort into your own hire. And so when I look at people's, if they even have a webpage that says, you know, why work for us or why join us? Um, typically it's not very good. They've not really put enough thought into their own employer value proposition. Whereas the growth companies that are absolutely taking off and getting traction are hugely profitable per, per employee. They've really dedicated the time, they've thought this through and they've come up with not just like the basics like compensation and so on, but they've really thought about uh, the sort of culture and the you know making their business a great place to work that is going to attract the right people and 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 retain them longer term.
0: Yeah, re- really good point, and it's an interesting one. I think it's when sometimes I've uncovered certain stories, it's been really interesting when you hear that their tenth hire was an internal recruiter or whatever, quite early on. And I think that is quite uncommon, but it's you're completely right. I think when agencies really see that scale up period, it's because they've had that realisation and then they've put more resources and time into the areas that you're talking about. And I think that goes quite nice onto my next point, which sort of just adds a bit more on, but this is what I wrote down as well, which was basically these uh, successful recruitment leaders they basically what i write down is that they invest just as much into keeping people as they do hiring people so i think it's just really easy to have that mindset of oh if we get five more recruiters at all bill x then we'll be doing x turnover right rather than thinking about how many, so currently out of our million turnover, that's been produced by 20% of our staff. How can we basically get the rest of our team up to where our high performers are? How can we speed up that competency? Right. And I think that's where these um, successful recruitment leaders uh, have had that realization that you're talking about, and they've made the time resources to invest in their existing people. Because I think quite easily, if you have high performance within your recruitment business, sometimes it can be easy to think, oh, they're doing all right. They're they're doing well. They're getting paid well. Like, don't need to worry about them. But actually, they're people that still need nurturing. They're still people that need to be sort of feel like they're getting the recognition that they deserve. They're still people that need to feel like they're getting developed and they're learning, right? Because I've spoke to countless people that leave recruitment businesses because they felt like there was no one else for them to learn from. Right. So I think that was just, just to add on, that was one of my other points was like these successful recruitment leaders, like they don't just have that mindset of like, I just need just focusing on hiring and hiring. They do have a, um, a better balance of what else do I need to be doing internally for my existing people to make sure that we're getting everything. We possibly can out of our existing employees if that's performance if that's making sure that people are happy with sort of the workplace and everything else but they absolutely don't just think about i need to get new hires so we can make x money they're also thinking
1: about their current employees as well absolutely and it's crazy because we as an industry don't follow the same advice we're giving to our own clients right you know we are mm. We tell our clients about retention, employee engagement, and, you know, we want to work, we want to recruit with companies, you know, client companies that have excellent, are attractive, have excellent uh, retention and a career path so that when we place someone, there's a progression there for them. Uh, They can develop themselves and so on. Uh, And those are the same principles that we should be we should be a, a adopting, uh, ourselves as an industry. So to, I, I don't know if it's the same point or it's, it's an adjacent or, or one, which is talent development. The, the fastest growing, most successful recruitment companies really invest in their people mm-hmm. and they have, um, it's not just like an ad hoc sort of learn on the job, you know, um, wing it sort of approach to, learning and development, it's very well thought through. There's been time, effort and resources, you know, put into this so that from onboarding new team members, uh, whether they're rookies or experienced to then um, the development of your, you mentioned like your top 20% people, what, what are you doing to further enhance their development? What are you doing to develop your leaders of tomorrow and have some kind of leadership uh, development in place. So, you know, the the most successful businesses that I've either worked with as a coach or interviewed on the podcast have really bought into that and they have in- dedicated a lot of time, effort, resource to investing in their people uh, and not just paying lip service to it, but really um, a serious commitment to talent development within their organization. And they've aligned that to creating a career path for people as well so you know what i would ask listeners who have ambitions to grow your recruitment business is there a career is there a career ladder that people is laid out people can see what the opportunity really is and how far they can take this and what the next step is for them and what is it a meritocracy or is it like favoritism nepotism where people you know don't they see people being promoted but they don't really you know there's maybe jealousy or or you know bad feeling because they they don't understand why that person was promoted is it very transparent like what is the criteria for promotion and does each person have their own career development plan within the business which is then supported with a tailored learning and development package
0: yeah love that i mean that that's the exact that's the exact problem that we're trying to help solve with the recruitment mentors platform so you you're completely right i think Most recruitment leaders, like small-grown recruitment businesses more so. Yeah, L&D for them basically looks like relying on their top performer's time to help the people around them, which has so many challenges to it. I can be a top performer. I'm then responsible for three, four people. I'm motivated to help these people, but when I realise that the more time I put into them, it means that I get paid less because I still find it hard to hit my target because I've still got a target on my head there can just be a lot of frustration there and these people can then become less motivated to grow help grow your recruitment business and then uh, some companies do have some sort of initial training some i'd say most do but still some don't and then after that it's very as you said ad hoc on the job like after some sort of initial training it's just very reliant on these people getting good at or re- like hoping that they learn from their mistakes um and then they might get some sort of external training but it's, it's not consistent. It's every now and again. So yeah, that's, that's de- like, definitely, I think, uh, the agencies that really look at that and as they grow, how can we provide more and more resources for our people is, is definitely a common factor. And I think the other point that you make is really interesting one. So I've just nearly finished recording like a sort of early on in recruitment series, just to go in line with sort of graduation time this year. So I've been interviewing people that are in their first year recruitment, second year recruitment, and they're all people that graduated in the last sort of two years. And I've just asked them the direct question, like out of interest, like what type of company gets you excited to work for? Like what actually resonates with you? Is it the Rolex? Is it the IB for incentives? All these types of things. And although incentives is something that they definitely enjoy, want, they want to travel. The number one thing is progression. to what you're talking about. It's like, can I sit down with Mark? He's going to tell me about his recruitment business that I could join. And can I see a clear path from where I am today to where I want to be in the next two years? Because, and that's the most common thing. So I think the thing that I take away is like, don't feel like like you have to wait until you're, X size to have a career plan. Like you can build out a career ladder or a career path, like just uh, whatever size you are. Like it's just really important to have some sort of clear clarity on like where people can go and how to get there. And you don't have to have an L&D department to do that. You don't have to like have, yeah, have a big business to do that. Like you need to think about that because that's what young professionals, motivated people want. So it's a really good point that you make.
1: 100%. Um,
0: the next point that I had, so we've got two more points each, right? So, okay, yeah. So, uh, cause we did five each, right? So, uh, the next one that I have, which sort of goes into what, I guess what we're talking about, but I definitely see this as a common piece. So the next thing is I've wrote down is they all have a compelling vision for the company. That's mm. what, what I write down. So yeah. You always hear around the importance of having a vision and and these types of things, but genuinely I would say most scaling recruitment agencies that you may know in the market, I guarantee you they have clarity on what they want to be and where they're going. Yes. And why this is so powerful is because that is what can connect with people to join your company. As we've said, there's loads of recruitment agencies in the UK alone that I could join. But a big part of what I'm going to be more enticed to is sitting down with Mark Whitby, the recruitment CEO, who is telling me what his vision is for what they're trying to do as a recruitment business. And if that's something that's really compelling to me and it's something that's aspirational, that's something that I can also connect with when I'm having a hard time in recruitment that's the really powerful thing with this right like you everyone has to work out why they're doing what they're doing and sort of what their why is and all of that but when sort of really successful recruitment leaders really nail down on their vision it's something that the whole organization can drive towards and connect with and that's so powerful and that's also then going to trickle down into giving yourself an even better chance of having a really solid leadership team who again are all bought into where this is going where this company is going what they stand for why they're doing it and that's another really um that's another point that i put down which i think is really crucial and i think again small growing companies can sort of just think oh i'll do this when we're 30 people i'll do this when we're a bit bigger but again like having a compelling vision will help you yourself as a recruitment leader because you have difficult days and having an anchor point as to why you're doing what you're doing and where you're going will help, but also it will absolutely help you connect with people to join your business if they feel like they can be part of something and they really understand where they're going and what you want to achieve. So having a compelling vision for your company is, for me, I think is a real common thread that I've seen successful recruitment leaders have.
1: Awesome. Uh, Yes, it's absolutely critical. Hey, here's a quick question for my listeners today. Did you catch my interview with Joel Slenning, where he talked about how he scaled his recruiting and staffing firm to $16 million before selling it? It's episode number 53, and if you've not already heard it, I recommend you check it out. The reason I bring it up is that I'm teaming up with Joel to create a mastermind group, especially for owners of seven-figure recruiting, staffing, and search firms, who wanna scale their business to eight figures. If that describes you, then listen closely because we're offering a free taster session on September 28th, and you're invited to come along. To register, visit recruitmentcoach.com forward slash scale. Again, this is exclusively for owners of fast growing recruitment companies who are already doing a million dollars in net fee income and want to build a business that generates cash flow without you working in the business so that you could sell it someday if you wanted to. Register now at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash scale. So, hand in hand with the vision, is really developing your culture, and the culture is kind of the glue that holds all these individual recruiters together and you know brings brings them together as a team it also enhances everything else that you're doing so the staff retention piece that we talked about earlier and you know so the, the question is do you have you designed your culture or have you got a culture by default? So, you know, culture is basically the way we do things here and it's comprised of so many different factors. So it's the people that you employ, it's the, you know, the, the rewards, the incentives, the, you know, the, the hours that you work, the, um, the, the sort of style of doing business, but, the most important, I think, defining feature of the culture comes down to the values. Mm. And I've heard this on your podcast uh, it come out, and it's definitely been a common recurring theme on my podcast as well, is when I ask leaders about the keys to scaling, then virtually every single one of them points to their values. So they have actually worked out, they spent time, whether it's like with an external consultant or internally, but there's been... Uh, a collaborative process with definitely the leadership, but usually involving the employees as well Mm. to crystallize what are the things that we feel are most important in the way that we interact with each other and with our clients and our candidates and um, being able to articulate those values in a way that a everyone knows what they are and remembers them, but B they inform decisions, the way people behave, like the decision is to, do we hire this person or not, but also how do we deal with certain day-to-day issues with clients and with candidates? Uh, and are we, are we operating consistently with our values? And that is a huge element of the culture, but certainly The most successful companies are the ones that have a culture that people feel proud to belong to, and to represent. And then they will go out and be your ambassador. Your employees become real advocates and ambassadors for your business. And you know, all of their interactions with clients and and candidates when they're proud to work uh, in your business. And it's almost difficult for them to imagine working anywhere else because they're so uh, embedded in the fabric of your organization.
0: Yeah, and I think just I, all I'd say is again, don't fall into the trap of thinking, "Oh, this is the doing these types of things is when I'm a bigger business." It's just it's just not the case. I think uh, again, it will help you as a business owner thinking about these things and working out. Yeah, like you said, like instead of having, why would you not? Why would you rather have a culture by default? Like, why would you rather that over having a culture that you've designed? And I think again. Like if you really think about these things as you're growing, you're just going to have an even better chance of hiring the right people because you've understood what you want the values to be of the business in the future or how you want people to act in your organization in the future. So again, what Mark's saying doesn't only apply to bigger organizations like like the sooner you can think about this sort of stuff, the better, Uh, maybe different if you're a solo founder. Or you may still want to think about those things and maybe apply it to the types of businesses that you work for. I think that still applies, but I think definitely. if you're definitely a recruitment entrepreneur that wants to grow, even if it's five people, 10 people, whatever, don't feel like this is something I should only be doing if I'm a bigger business. I, 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 I definitely would not have that mindset.
1: Absolutely. In <laughs> fact, um, C- couple of quick examples of that. One is a company we both know. I know you've interviewed people from there is Amoria Bond in uh, headquartered in yeah. Manchester. Uh, fantastic business. I worked closely with them for probably a decade. Uh, and actually we helped them to define their values in the first place many, many years ago. Um, we did a, an exercise with all of their managers to help them to, you know, to articulate the values and that became integral to you know, their hiring and, and their learning development and their, their culture. The other, have you interviewed James Fernandez from Carrington West? No. You should definitely talk to him. He's uh, a really uh, amazing entrepreneur and, and cool company, but that was something that they, he really articulated and spelled out when I, when I talked to him was, you know, their values and then how they uh, embed those in the business to result in actual, you know, behaviors rather than it just being a plaque on the wall that it's really in in woven into the fabric of the organization.
0: Yeah. Love that. So final point then that I have, this is a bit more of an actual characteristic of the people that I've met, continue to meet, speak to. And the characteristic is humility. That's, that's what I wrote down. Again, I think, I'm sure people have had experiences listening to this of meeting or dealing with recruitment business leaders that they probably wouldn't say very nice things about them. But all in all for me personally, my own experience is like most recruitment business leaders that I speak to have humility and abundance They they, they really do. And they understand what their employees are going through day to day they don't think they're any bigger than anyone in the organization and because they have this humility they're more willing to learn they're a lot more open minded to learn from the new people that come into their business as well as the the people that sit around their board meeting so just a really short one here but genuinely like you don't have to be some sort of sharky like sales fanatic like a person to run a recruit like successful recruit, like cutthroat you, you don't you don't need to to be that in my opinion if you want to be that is a different story but i do <laughs> feel like obviously yeah successful recruitment leaders i'd say a lot of the people that have successfully, uh, successfully grown their recruitment company if you were to interview a lot of the people then that organization one of the things they would say that they love about working at that business will definitely be the people. And part of that would be the leaders that they have access to. And I'd like to think that a lot of people will go, I absolutely love for working for ex-CEO, CEO, or I love working for that. Do you get what I mean? So, and I think the people that say that, they're not going to be saying that about egotistical, self-righteous, like privileged people that now think they're better than everyone else because they've made a lot of money in growing a recruitment business. They They continue to have the humility despite... How big they get, how successful they get, and that's a a characteristic that I wanted to highlight because yeah obviously recruitment doesn't obviously doesn't have the the best name, think it's changing hopefully, but you definitely don't have to be the typical hard
1: nosed sharky recruitment business leader to be successful in, in my eyes hundred percent hundred percent humility is to- is high on my list of desirable um qualities for sure and in fact, great book is uh, by Ryan, um, Ryan Halliday, Ego is the Enemy. Yeah, I haven't um, actually read
0: that, but obviously I've seen yeah. it be recommended a lot. Uh,
1: it, it Put it on your reading list. It's uh, is a good one. So yeah, humility is high. And and that old image of the Wolf of Wall Street sort of culture, I think is changing. And certainly all of the people, it's hard to know, Hisham, because there's a certain mindset of person who agrees to come on a podcast, right? Which is someone who probably already has that humility and yeah, is no. willing to share and learn from peers and so on. So I don't know if it's representative, but certainly the vast majority of the most successful recruiters I've met have been extremely humble and um, really open-minded uh, and and not thought they were superior to to other people for sure.
0: So Rian, I think you've got the last point.
1: All right, awesome. So I think... Um, this is a different one to what, if we had to have this conversation like even like five years ago or even two or three years ago, I don't think it would have been on a list. But investing in marketing, mm. traditionally recruiting is very sales-led business. It still is, in my view, it's a sales job. If you define selling as, in the way Greg Savage, my, my friend Greg Savage um, does, which is influencing, advising, consulting, uh, qualifying et cetera, um, than, you know, in a sophisticated solution selling environment than it is a sales business. However, uh, marketing is occupying more and more importance. And the companies that I see doing extremely well and punching above their weight so that they are outperforming much larger uh, companies are ones who have made the decision to invest uh, bandwidth and and resource in marketing and whether that is um they're doing it themselves whether they're using agency or whether they are going to hire uh, a full-time marketing person it's it's interesting how like in, in when i was coming up hisham i don't know about you but no recruitment business had a marketing department um But now, in fact, when I interviewed Greg Savage, he said you're like fifth, sixth or seventh hire should be marketing person, like a full-time marketing person, not another consultant. Um, And I'm seeing more companies doing that where they're actually, they might hire an agency initially, but then ultimately the the goal is to bring that function in-house and do things like building communities around, I don't know if this is a separate point of the, or or a related point, but instead of just being a vendor, who's on the periphery of your niche that we talked about, that you serve, it's actually occupying a leadership role within that community and adding value to that ecosystem by holding events, bringing people together and sharing insight and, um, with with that community and and marketing is really the the vehicle for achieving that kind of leadership status and and being v- highly visible as a thought leader as someone who brings value as a company that invests in you know that particular industry not just to make fees or make placements but who's actually committed to serving that industry at a at a higher level in a more selfless way i think that is ultimately good for business, even though in the short term, it doesn't necessarily drive immediate placements.
0: Yeah, no, I'm glad you brought it up and I think really agree. And I think the, the really exciting thing as well is obviously across different sectors, you always hear around that challenge of sales and marketing, having a really good relationship and communication. But I'd like to think a modern day recruiter should understand that building their own brand and making sure that they're seen as the go-to recruiter within the, in their market is something that they should be investing time into. Yes. So hopefully what that's, what's exciting as well is that as, especially the recruiters coming into the industry, they would have grown up their whole life with social media and all these types of things. I think uh, that personal branding and building your own brand is is absolutely a staple Of a successful, what a successful recruiter will be doing and and looks like in today's market. So hopefully what that will mean is that as recruitment businesses invest more into marketing, there's even more success with that. If their recruiters buy into it, they've got a marketing function investing more into it. And then it's just about, yeah, doing the things or working out the things that they can invest in that marketing budget that can really support the whole organization. And I think the most common thing that I see. That, as you mentioned, is is absolutely events, building communities. And I think that's a really solid place to start. There's so many success stories or frameworks that you could go and follow that you could replicate in your own niche, in your own market. And there'd be a good chance that it would go down well. And for me, the main reason why is that it's a really easy crossover from sales to marketing. If you can equip your whole sales team your consultants with a whole other reason to reach out, prospect, speak to people because it's around the events, it's around the podcast that you started, it's around webinars that you're hosting, then it's just a real good connection uh, with marketing. And it helps a lot of consultants because a lot of the time they just need more reasons to speak to people that aren't jobs and all these types of things. So I think that's going to create increase and increase, I think.
1: Yeah, no, you're totally right. In fact, you filled in, uh, I missed out a point, which you filled in, which is about the individual responsibility and for building yeah. your personal brand. Because I, I think companies should lead the charge and be supporting their team with great marketing. But at the same time, if you're a recruiter in a business that isn't necessarily doing that, then um, there's nothing at all stopping you from focusing on building your personal brand and being the go-to recruiter in your niche within the business. And once you, if you're leading the way and showing that you're getting results with that, then others will probably follow suit. Absolutely. Well, there we go. All right. Really enjoyed that. That was awesome. That was fun, Husham. Uh How many points was that? That was 10. 10? All right,
0: cool. That's fine. five, five each. Awesome. Thanks nice for our number. Yeah. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed that. Mark really enjoyed collaborating. I think, uh, yeah. Let's let's keep doing what we're doing, and hopefully, we can together move the needle on changing the perception of the recruitment industry. I think for I'm just I think it's such a great career choice for so many people. And um, yeah, hopefully, we can support more people in their careers, and at the same time, do some leave a real positive mark on the recruitment industry.
1: Totally. This, uh, this career has a chance to, not only can it be very rewarding financially, but it is an opportunity to have a, an impact on people's lives, change lives for the better, have a pause, make a positive difference to the success of your client companies. Um, and yeah, it, I, I can't imagine where I would have been if I hadn't fallen into recruitment 20 uh, some years ago.
0: Exactly. Mark, awesome. Been a pleasure.
1: Thank you so much for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. If you've enjoyed the show, the best way you can show your support is to click that subscribe button. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.